0: Hello, hello, my dear peace lovers and peacemakers friend. This is Sarah Jamshidi. I'm here with Matin Rukh for Peace Mindedly. Hello, hello. <laughs> Matin is on the other line taking care of everything we need to take care of uh, on the back end. Uh, thank you so much, Matin John. Okay. Welcome. Peace Mindedly is a podcast show where we feature peaceful bridge makers, those people who are bridging gaps between nations, between cultures, between thoughts, and between ideas. These people are compassionate people, kind, and peaceful. This is basically the theme of our show. Kindness, compassion, and peace. Speaking of which, speaking of kindness, I want to mention that November 13 is the World Kindness Day. World Kindness Day is a global day that promotes the importance of being kind to each other, to yourself, to the world. The purpose of celebrating World Kindness Day is to help everyone understand that compassion for others binds us all together. This understanding has the power to bridge the gap between nations. Since the mission of our show is based on compassion, kindness, and peace, we say happy, happy Word Kindness Day to all of you, to all of you beautiful people. You know that we are live streaming our show on many social media channels and on Twitter, Periscope, YouTube, many, many. So one of the ways in which you could participate <laughs> in the Word of Kindness Day is if you could kindly share the same video on your timeline. We truly appreciate your kindness. Kindness Day is on November 13, and our discussion today is about how to be kind to oneself, how to take care of the body to feel and seem beautiful, how to feel desired and attractive. The matter of desire and sexual intimacy is as old as human history. Desire and intimacy is the subject we never get tired of. What's the secret of desire, intimacy, or sexual longing that we pay very close attention to? Why we get hooked up with provocative images, beautiful men or women, attractive bodies, exotic smells, watching two people kissing, or longing for an intimate hug by a romantic partner, especially these days where hug is a rare commodity. Is it only us in the Western nations who have been liberated, quote-unquote, to desire, to long, to attract, to being hooked, or experience romance? What about women in Istanbul? Istanbulites are a group of women who are living in Istanbul, one of the most vibrant, beautiful cities, in my opinion, in the world, that is located in, in the Middle East, in Turkey, in the Middle East. A researcher and author, Sertar Sehlikoglu, depicts Istanbulite women. She researched and wrote about their sexuality, intimate moments, and desires in her book, Working Out Desire, Women, Sport, and Self-Making in Istanbul. In her book Sertash brings together fields of sport, desire, sexuality and politics combining them with her rich ethnographic observation. She explains Muslim women's self-making to create a time and space for their new cultural habit both in Turkey and in the Middle East. Sertaj Koglu is one of the Senior Research associate at the Institute for Global Prosperity at University College London. She is the Abdullah Mubarak Al-Sabah Research Fellow at Pembroke College, Cambridge. Merhaba, Sertaj. Welcome to Peace Mindedly.
1: Merhaba. Salam, salam. <laughs> Thank you very alaikum. much for having me.
0: Absolutely. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Okay, Sir Tash, so desire for Muslim women, really, has been, has been said for the longest time that uh, perhaps Muslim women do not have sexual agency, but you want to prove it otherwise. Tell me about what is your perception of Muslim women desire?
1: Thank you again. Thank you very much for having me. Actually, this was a question I ended up addressing directly without intending to do so, because when I was starting this research many, very many years ago, so I first started my research in 2008 in Canada and and continued carrying it on at Cambridge. Um, I was only trying to do something that seemed to have been just missed in the broader literature of Middle Eastern studies or gender studies, right? So there's so much literature going on about, you know, women's struggles, women's activism, or more traumatizing stories of women, and they're all very valuable but um an individual's agency operate in multiple ways an agency is where we create a change and i was thinking of doing like focusing on feminist agency from a different angle and that different angle could be all sorts of things It, it can be you know arts it can be sports it can be a range of different things and um, because my father was a sportsman, <laughs> I thought you know looking at sports would be the easy way out,. Right? Um, but the more I you know went further into my analysis, and in academia, basically what we do is we present different parts of our work in different um, you know, conferences, sessions, et cetera, et etc. I realized there was something with the audience that I couldn't just, you know, understand very clearly at the beginning. I was receiving questions that were a little bit off, such as, um, you know, I'm doing a presentation about, for instance, women's um, female gaze in the changing rooms, right? That's a very exciting topic for me. That's how women are actually carrying normative attitudes in their relationship to each other. And then the first question I was getting was, you know, the number of women wearing headscarf, you know, in the gym. I'm like, why is that? Why is that relevant? So there is this what I'm trying to say, I think, to address your question is. Maybe desire and Muslim women don't go so bad against each other. Maybe the desire is only there. Maybe there's something wrong with the way we imagine Muslim women and the way we imagine desire as well. So what is
0: it? What is it? What's, what's wrong with in, in ways in which we, we imagine or we portray Muslim women?
1: That. Um, port- yeah that's portrayed to us and kind of when a series of information you receive are packaged in particular way and if you didn't spend time as much as I did in in the middle east or in amongst kind of Muslim circles then you have a very kind of limited very strong very uh, reductionist understanding of, of of different individuals right that's do you have
0: an example important. can you give us an example
1: yeah I actually want to first give uh like how we also, Uh, reduce the definition of desire as well you know we kind of we have a tendency to think as if desire is always liberating whereas uh, tons of social scientists ended up telling us that actually our desires are highly um, designed by our social conditions our class our like historical makings that's why certain things sound you know very off to us why would women do this to themselves why would anyone want to eat that but then it makes full sense uh in another context right so the, the way we des- we define desire is quite off and the way we imagine muslim women are also quite off
0: in what way sirtash what do you mean uh, quite off
1: i mean if um let's say um when i'm like the more i start giving examples i think from from the book the better we understand um but um i have also uh received series of questions when i'm you know after i finished my my presentation that you know this this presentation was taking place in belgium and the question i received was but this is just like us what's different in that context, you know? So what I'm trying to say is that there are particular ways of engaging with femininity and, and exercising femininity. That is, I can't say universal, but particular patterns do not have to be too different in various contexts. An example to that would be, um, you know, most of the time we think about Muslim women and their hijab, their headscarf, and we don't think of this as, you know, oh, it's modesty, but also a strange rule to follow. But then in my studies, when I was doing, you know, field work with the women exercising in the gyms, when I was asking, them questions you know why did you go to a woman on the gym as opposed to you know um, a mixed gym and their answer would be you know if a man is staring at me when I'm doing this I would feel uncomfortable etc and when I'm jumping particular parts of my body would be jumping up and down and I wouldn't want anyone to stare at that and when women present themselves as such that's very relatable right so uh, it's also what I'm trying to say is um, desire is also the angle to to reach out to different different group of people and make them more relatable, but also understand more diverse aspects of those human beings. Okay? Those, yes. those social groups.
0: Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you believe or think that at least in the Western societies, sex and eroticism has been normalized? So therefore, and sex is widely available. I mean, we have videos, porno everywhere, everything, right? So it's been uh, normalized. So therefore, at least men are more used to seeing women jumping out or seeing women uh, doing uh, things that might not attract their attention compared to Muslim countries who've been segregation between men and women in some of the countries. I know it's Saudi Arabia, I know Iran, so segregation and men are not accustomed to uh, having women's presence. So therefore, right. they are more of eager to see yeah. women in the in kind of position. Uh, in retrospect, women feel a bit uncomfortable Mm -hmm. of uh, putting themselves within the male gaze. Wouldn't wouldn't you think that this is something in the West has been normalized and in the Middle East and Muslim countries has not been normalized?
1: I wouldn't say so at all. Um, The reason to that is, so my scholarship engages heavily with sexuality studies, right? And sexuality is something we normalize through multiple scripts. So the body is is a sexual script and we know this and you can find this if you google body as social script you probably come across to a good number of academic pieces that's focusing on this element but those sexual scripts can take multiple forms or different forms in different contexts so um, before i move on to this this angle you know, different examples to sexual scripts. I want to also say that, you know, sexual bodies are readily available on the internet everywhere, Turkey included. So Mm -hmm. there is something different when a man in Istanbul, in, in, in this geography, when a man is staring at a woman's body, there is something else. What's different is in this particular context and several related contexts ranging from actually Greece all the way to Afghanistan, gaze is also one of the sexual scripts. Okay, so we are talking about a context where gazing is actually quite central part of the social interaction, right? So it's imagined almost like something more concrete, almost tangible, which is why if a strong gaze touches you it brings misfortune which is nazar you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, badly translated into english as evil eye doesn't have to be evil it's just a strong eye so in this geography in this particular geography gaze is imagined as something so strong that it can touch you so in the sexuality context right in the context of social uh, of of sexual analysis that same gaze also turns into a a sexual sexual script what it means is when a man is staring at a woman's moving body he knows this is a harassing move he right? knows it's not just seeing and taking pleasure from the from from the scene it is a harassing move right? and the woman also feels uncomfortable for because of for because of this particular reason right it's not just you know watching it's looking as if it's touching okay so what i'm trying to say is that men are the men staring at female or sexual or heterosexual bodies is not necessarily in those contexts because they don't see it anywhere else but because it's a very easy way of sexually harassing a woman making her uncomfortable because gaze is something you can deny as well. I wasn't looking at you. Do you want to be looked at? You can easily deny it. There is this deniability. So there is a completely different dynamic going on, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. But uh, yet, at the same time, in the book, you uh, you argue that this phenomenon is going on in Istanbul where women are more cautious about health and about self-image and they want to look beautiful. So tell me what's taking place in Istanbul, why this is something is going on uh, among women groups.
1: I uh, went to Istanbul because it's kind of, you know, everything is very accessible. But the same study could have taken place in Cairo, actually, or in another part of Turkey or in the Middle East. And in fact, when I was, you know, I, I come across to a large number of scholars uh, who are like interested in this this phenomenon. So it's not just limited to Istanbul, but in Istanbul, it's kind of supported by the current political uh, climate quite heavily. It's, a, it's used as a way of as a tool for populism. So like the municipal governments are providing free services, etc. Uh, but there was another element in your question. Not just it wasn't just about Istanbul. Can you uh, remind? Yes,
0: me? we were talking about women gaze, mm-hmm. and we were talking about men gays. and we were talking about this gaze might be might might be okay. interpreted okay. as as harassment. But here's the thing: women mm-hmm. in Istanbul are or are not, I'm just curious to know, contributing to this fact of making themselves more beautiful
1: for male gaze. Mm, I see. Um, That's not the angle I kind of, how can I say, I indulge much, actually. But there is a reason to that. So let's start with how women deal with this, this issue of harassment, right? Because if you avoid that harassment... It means the harassment is still there, which is a huge feminist issue, by the way, because it means there is a patriarchal mechanism going on, controlling, creating control over women's bodies. And I want to just, you know, give a very quick uh, overview about the fact that there are about 18 million people living in Istanbul. And when I was doing my fieldwork in 2010, 20, sorry, 2011, 2012, one and a half million women were involved in this trend. This is a huge number. So the, the the sort of women we are talking about are not necessarily educated, are not necessarily upper class at all. Uh, it's quite diverse, quite kind of what we would call, um, I can't say majority, of course, uh, judging by the numbers, but uh, I call them ordinary women. You know, they mm-hmm. reflect basically the statistical facts about, of Istanbul. The reason I'm saying this...
0: Engaged is- in this movement of self-making
1: of exercise, different exercise forms of, sport. Yeah, they call this they call this okay which uh-huh. means interest or curiosity in exercise which i love the phrase so much uh because what they do is not necessarily sports in in professional sense it's exercise mm-hmm. um but it kind of includes an element of imagining the self differently But they also undersell it. They call merak just interest or curiosity so that they wouldn't attract much attention or like raise any issues with their family members, etc. Because, you know, why are you doing sports? It's not it's not something ordinary women used to do at all. Actually, it was such an elite thing to get involved in for in Turkey for several, several decades. Okay. So, um, but I want to go back to this kind of issue of harassment, right? Like a large number of the women I interviewed with were going to women on the gyms and they were doing that in order to avoid um, male gaze, which they felt as a form of harassment. But... Uh, And this would normally be kind of immediately reduced, if you are not looking at it carefully, immediately reduced and reinterpreted as a way of just maintaining the social norms, right? That means, oh, you're expecting it's normal and you are not challenging it, and that's problematic. But I I did my field work, uh, I, I did two very long field visits, Um, to Istanbul for my research. One was in 2008 and the other was in uh, 2011-12. And there was something changing in time in Istanbul. The number of women exercising was increasing, Their, their clothes were getting tighter. And it means that there was something about sexual harassment that was kind of, that women's very slow, unchallenging, seemingly unthreatening Interest in sports, in exercise, was changing the larger uh, normative operations. And in the interviews, that was coming clearly. The more I interviewed with women, right, the, the kind of closer engagements we had, it started getting clearer. And I want to give an example from the book, actually. Uh, so I was interviewing with uh, with these two women, uh, their neighbors and and distantly related, and they go to the gym uh this woman only uh, free gym sessions they were attending when it's winter and when it's summer they want to save so the free sessions are like 10 liras they were uh back then for two and a half months and 10 liras back then were like three pounds um yes three three dollars uh for two and a half months and they were going to the park which is free to go obviously. And when they are in the, in the summer and when they go to the park in the summer, they use these kind of outdoor equipment uh, the municipal governments have installed. And these, um, these um, equipments, y- with them you do a range of things, right? You, and one of the, uh, one of the equipment, um, this one interlocutor of mine was using uh, requires you to sit down and open and close your legs, okay? So she was telling me how she hated when she used to go there and use that machine. This guy was sitting right across to her and staring at her clutch, okay? And she used to hate it. And then she used to call the security, the security would kick him off and he would come back. And after this occurring couple of times, she then let it go, right? So the way I'm, she then let it go. And then shortly after she stopped caring about it, he stopped coming. So there is something like as a power mechanism, right? As I said, men are doing this to make the woman uncomfortable. That's the power of harassment. That's where the power of harassment comes from. So the more women stop caring about this this, this harassing attitudes, the more liberated they seem to have become. Okay.
0: But here in the book, you say that uh, males' desire must be fed, females' desire must be disciplined. Oh. What we what we are hearing in in, in this, this uh, conversation is that women are redisciplining the uh, the That's desire cool. and so just cool. trying to you know open that the, that boundaries to a larger I mean larger space. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. I know, I love my woman so much, actually. <laughs> um, so yes, very much so. And I, I discussed that extensively, how male desire is formulated, even in this kind of child-rearing child- practices right if um, you know especially for the women and the ages of the women I interviewed and I I interviewed women from all sorts of ages but especially for those who were um, from their 30s all the way to their 60s they grew up in an environment where the 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 boy desire should be is, is kind of perceived to be fed like if a boy wants to have something and if you don't so satisfy that, that need, which means it was happening to their siblings, by the way, then it's almost like you would kill that very central desire in that boy. So th- there was something about the way desires formulated in very gendered ways in Turkey. And I'm sure you can apply this to other neighboring countries. So, it should be fed. If a boy wants to have this chocolate, you need to give him that chocolate. Otherwise, it would kind of start causing a pain in him. And that's very bad for a boy's nature, really the way of forming. Poor boy. <laughs> Whereas the girls were told to control their desires, okay? which means the following when they, the same girls age, okay? then they learn that if they express their desires, they would be judged about it, okay? So I witnessed dozens of moments when women are are articulating what they want in very different terms. Sometimes they say that that's what my kids want, right? Sometimes they say, that's how my husband wants it. It can be about simple things. It can be about what they cook even, right? Mm -hmm. So it's also a way of avoiding being seen selfish, okay? Um, because the kind of normative clusters are established in a similar way. And this is one of the things actually we find uh, very strong parallels with in, in Western society as well. Women expressing their desires are found selfish in both Western and large number of non Western parts of the world. Um, and in order to avoid that, so my women were not necessarily confrontational, but I recognized agency in their non-confrontational habits and strategies and attitudes. Okay? Um, so what they do is um, they just pick different layers of narratives to find their way out. And that was exactly why they refer to their involvement in exercise, not as a passion. But that's just you know interest. I'm just you know it's a sports interest. Interest and in, it's kind of always you know tuning it down, selling it down. Don't want to attract too much attention. Sometimes yes. they say I have backache, which they do have, right? Sometimes they kind of say different things to do. And then when they see the the, the the trainer, then they go up to her and say, oh, I have this sports consciousness now, right? Which they do have as well. It's just the, a way of picking up different narratives for different people in order to be able to continue doing that and opening it that, that opening up uh, that not only time, but also space, or I should have said it the other way around. They open up space for themselves, but they also open up time. Okay. So the social um, the
0: social structure, the new social structure of, uh, I don't know if it's new or not, but has they, have women created perhaps a new social structure to give themselves this space to widen up uh, what has been taboo before and now to be acceptable? So what I'm, what I'm, what I'm, yeah, this, this is the question. Is it, has it, has it happened? Or, or is it happening that they are renegotiating oh, the social yeah, okay. structure? All
1: the time. And they do this. And I want to also give a kind of reflection for the... Um, for the non-Middle Eastern audience actually, when you said taboo, maybe the immediate like image again popped into the minds of the audience is taboo related to Islamic practices. No, not necessarily. So, Turkey is, is founded as a, as a secular country and the first sportsmen were sportswomen were elite women right And sports have long been a very elite practice. And then when these women started exercising, they were mocked they were mocked on the streets you can still find videos of of you know um there is this one video i i think i shared the link yes i definitely shared the link on my blog which i hated by the way Right? It says Uchan Turbano, flying headscarved, is, is the title of the video. So these, this, this couple walking a dog, a definitely upper middle class practice to have a kind of good uh, quality pet, right? especially back then. And this woman with her headscarf and long robe is swinging on this outdoor gym or outdoor equipment. She's really swinging. She's kind of she's, she looks so cute to me and they were just mocking her so they were like recording her from back and sharing it of course without her permission so they um were marked my interlocutors were marked as the sporty aunties i translated which is porjutayzeler and teze is is an aunt it's kind of is not elite at all very familial right um, so the the kind of there are multiple taboos these women are breaking. That's what I'm trying to say, and the the introduction right in the introduction of my book, the first uh, subtitle is is appreciating those those sporty aunties because they are actually. Those who were being mocked, they were changing multiple elements in the larger society. Right? Uh, not only they were kind of exercising and taking care of themselves, um, but they were also doing this despite knowing very well that you know some people were mocking them, right? And they were not caring about it. And they were by doing so, uh, which was quite important, actually. One of the kind of crucial things. I. Ha- I. 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 I just want to remind here uh, and want to address here related uh, to my research is they were opening up time for themselves. So one of the things we don't seem to notice is how for women our times are heavily regulated. Like time is almost imposed on us. What we are going to do, when we are going to do it, right? Taking kids to school, picking them up. Um, and, and like all these work-related schedules, all these caring-related schedules, caring is often a very female job in, in this kind of normative world. Um, so opening up time is giving women a chance to be reflective about what else they desire, right? They, they, and they are seriously reflective about this. Some of my informants are kind of, uh, when I was finishing up su- submitting my book, I was like adding new things to my about my inter- in- interlocutors, right? There's this woman who was saying she has four kids, she wanted to, uh, she has three kids, she wanted a fourth one, but she wanted to get rid of this husband and want to get another one. She did that. This woman who was say it with- again, say it again. So she, she had three, <laughs> three, had uh, three kids, kids, but she wasn't happy with her husband and then she divorced her. And married and, uh, again, and then had a fourth baby. Huh. And, and, and I was adding this information to my book, there was this another um, interlocutor of mine, she, she hadn't even completed high school back then. And now she started um, her undergraduate degree. Right? Uh, and she was only 30 something when we met, when we met. So it's giving and there was this other woman who was like telling me, she, you know, there was one of the things she was telling me, one of the things she, her husband never allowed her to do and she did it. I'm not giving too much so that people can read the book. Um, and then she was saying, he also, he didn't want me to do it. And I did that. He also doesn't want me to have a driver's license. That's my next goal. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> what I'm saying, saying is that sports is like the way I see it exercise seems to have become a tool for them to just open up open up like little window temporal window spatial window okay so -hmm. that they can be more reflective about what else do they want for themselves Mm -hmm.
0: yes what else do they want for themselves and also uh, for the for the, the, the second portion, uh, I'm going to focus on uh, desire and I'm going to focus on so why women think that, uh, at least in Istanbul, why they think they must be beautiful in terms of their body and appearance to be desirable probably and what they do about that. So stay put with me. You are watching To Peace Mindedly, a podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers. This is our second season every Tuesday. Uh, 12 noon pacific standard time in seattle we come live um, with a a new program featuring one of our peaceful bridge makers november 24th is our last show that we are going to talk with two chefs and uh, before then i'm just going to update you about what we are all up for and what we are doing in peace mindedly podcast show In my introduction, I just explained that November 13 is the World Kindness Day, and that is an important uh, issue for us in Peace Mindedly because the theme of the show is kindness, compassion, and peace. So the day was introduced in in 1998 by the World Kindness Movement, a coalition of nations, kindness, NGOs. It is observed in many, many countries, including Canada, Canada, Nigeria, Austria, and many other nations. On November 13, participants attempted to make the world a better place by celebrating and promoting good deeds and pledging acts of kindness. So for your part, if you would like to uh, share an act of kindness, there are some of the suggestions that we can make. And uh, my utmost suggestion, especially during the pandemic, can be if you could send an uplift text to a friend or reach out to a family member that you have not spoken with for a while and just see how they are doing. Or let that guy merge onto traffic with a wave and a smile if you are driving outside. Share a compliment with one of your loved ones in the household or make and drink a cup of hot tea with your family members so probably just plan something fun with your uh, with your family members and your surroundings to probably feel a bit more warm in your heart about kindness and compassion for next week for next episode i am i am updating about what's coming up and what we've been doing we are living in a tumultuous very difficult Difficult circumstances and not just uh, for us in the U.S., for many, many people uh, around the world, this, uh, this pandemic has been difficult. We are uh, going to come here to explain why we are doing this, take your questions and, and answer, uh, and, and answer as best as we can. And also to explain what we are up for it uh, for the next season. For the November 24th is the week of Thanksgiving. And for that, we are going to have two amazing guests, so to speak. So our guests are Elena Ramsposh and Catherine LaFond. Both are writers and business owners and people who have been uh, involved in the food industry and recipe development. We are going to talk about how to make this Thanksgiving something memorable. Catherine wrote uh, a book called Seasoned with Gratitude, 200 Recipes and Blessings Celebrating the Greater Nourishment and Real Food. Both of of my guests are so big in taking care of the planet, taking care of the body, and being mindful about the resources that we use. I'm sure we are going to have, and I'm going to have them to share recipes with us. So uh, if you join us, you're going to hear uh, something interesting about recipes. That you may have not known because Elena usually shares recipe from Germany and Catherine from her garden. For this hour, we are talking with Sartaj Sehlikoglu, affiliate lecturer in social anthropology at the University of Cambridge and a senior research associate at the Institute for Global Prosperity at University College London. Sertaj is an anthropologist and researcher interested in human response to social changes in her book working out desire women sport and self-making in istanbul she tries to address our misunderstanding about muslim women desire and this is sertaj in our studio okay sirtash i wanted to you, you in, in the book you keep talking about these women do not want to portray or to depict as selfish. They are just are trying to open the narrative in the Turkish society. I wonder if whether or not the same thing is happening in the larger context within the Middle East. What do you think?
1: Definitely. I So as an anthropologist, we kind of don't want to generalize anything without doing proper ethnographic fieldwork but we also do presentations in in different places. And it seems like it's taking place in Egypt. It's taking place in different parts of the Gulf, right? So um, all I can say is definitely women in the Middle East. Uh, it, it's not just about the Middle East, but there is something about the particular uh, fieldwork I ended up doing where as I said, the the women I talk to can easily be called like just ordinary women, and ordinary is not a kind of ne- necessarily positive or negative term. It is a, just a descriptive term, right? Um, and they their needs and 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 interests reflect something about the normative operations, and. Um, the reason i did this is kind of not to kind of expand it to another geography somebody else can do their own and then make a comparative discussion but uh it is like for me it was especially important to be able to talk about agency the ability to create a change at the larger operations of a system why that it was
0: important to you?
1: That was Why? not necessarily confrontational, and the reason to that uh-huh. is because the feminist agency, in the way we think in our conceptual world, um, is often um, taught through very confrontational means. If there is not resistance, right? Resistance is 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 done in order to create a change, but that's not the only way to create a change. And not everybody is able to, to, co- to be confrontational, to, to resist. Right? Resistance sometimes costs quite a lot. And people, as like human beings, we make calculations all the time. But that doesn't mean, simply because they don't resist, doesn't mean they are unable to create a change. So, so what, what women in Istanbul are resisting against? So that's what I'm saying. These women are not necessarily, yeah, Mm -hmm. these women are not necessarily. So what I'm trying to say is that maybe when, just because my interlocutor didn't confront with the guy who was harassing her, right? Didn't do kind of resistance. She did it too, actually. She kind of fetched the security guard. It doesn't work. So the way we think about resistance does does not seem to, or does not have to work all the time in the same way. And then but then in time with their kind of insistence on being able to make multiple moves and use multiple strategies, they were creating the change. And that change is basically leading um, them to kind of get harassed less and leading them, by the way in Turkey the number of violence cases against women is in rise and that's another kind of discussion but i'm only focusing on the the sort of change they were able to kind of you know they were being harassed before they're being harassed less they were wearing more loose clothes before and they started being able to wear even tighter clothes in time so Mm -hmm. they are able to create a change and the other like i don't want to reduce change only to the issue of sexual harassment either Mm -hmm. Like uh, towards the end of my book, I talk about how they actually reinterpret even religious terms to make the sort of self-care they engage with much more Mm -hmm. valuable. Right? Mm -hmm. They kind of revisit those terms. And these terms are clearly different, like defined differently compared to earlier times. Like I'm kind of discussing this um, notion of of trust, Emanet. You know, our bodies are given to us from God and we will return it to him. And before this kind of, oh, you need to return this body in, you know, proper, in proper shape. And, and in earlier times that 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 understanding was defined as you know you need to so wouldn't your... we
0: wouldn't we give a, a religious connotation when we say that we need we return this body in, in the best shape possible back to god
1: that's the interesting part so in earlier times this wasn't defined as physical shape mm-hmm. originally you know these kind of set of hadiths uh, like words sayings of the Prophet Muhammad was defined as you know returning the body with as less sin as possible so committing committing less sinful fewer sinful acts but today mm-hmm. this term is being reinterpreted so so they are also changing certain uh, meanings of the of the kind of religious terminology but they by doing so they also Recalibrate. The way they imagine larger cosmology, and that kind of is also quite intriguing to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, in the book, also
1: uh, had a, yeah, sorry, go ahead.
0: In the book, uh, you have two women, Halal Taze and Noor, and then you go in their houses. Yeah. You talk to them. Uh, you go to Halal's house and talk to her, and then you meet Noor in a pastry shop and yeah. you talk with her. So, what are the why did you pick these two women? What are their differences? How do you contrast them?
1: Thank you. So, I actually interviewed with very large dozens of women. But mm-hmm. what we do when we are uh, kind of um, putting together our analysis we try to pick the ones that were able to express themselves just right so that you can make your argument much more kind of well-knitted uh for the purpose of analysis right so these two women were quite contrasting at many levels they are age difference like one would be you know as old, like Hilal like i call her aunt she's like she's uh, she's not young um by the way, I later on learned that she was upset that I didn't refer to her with her real name. But I, I think it's too late for that. Hilatessa is a, all the names are pseudonym except with one. So, so she's she's aged. She's a senior woman, and she is from upper middle class background. Whereas Noor is from working class background, and she's younger. She was in her early thirties, right? And uh, so the class and and age contrasts was helping me to put together the the parallels and differences in my analysis. And this part was particularly about um, uh, agency again. um, Which agency? Sexual agency? Um, I define agency as part of like self-making right Uh, so agency is is I define agency as the ability to to create a change in the in the larger operations of normative systems that norms do not have to be those norms do not have to be uh, necessarily sexual norms but Mm -hmm. um, they kind of and even sexual norms operate at many levels anyway yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So their class is different, mm-hmm. their age is different, but what similarities do they have in terms of their agencies?
1: Um, so they were both uh, creating a change uh, in their lives uh, in the long run. Actually, Hilate was the one who was saying that, you know, uh, she, was, she was sharing all her interests with great enthusiasm to me. Um, but her enthusiasm was also like, like she was. Whenever she's telling me what she's interested, you know, she's always linking those narratives to how her kids were perceiving her. Okay. Oh, my my son says this. My daughter, my my elder daughter says this. My my uh, younger daughter says this. So the her her the way she articulates and frames her desire was through through family. Mm-hmm um but then she was also like very cautious about the way she was she was packaging her enthusiasm she says she's enthusiastic but she's also kind of she kept saying I asked her as kind of so we kind of we've spent like three I think I spent three to four hours at her home and um and then at and at one point I said you know why are you doing this and then uh, it was part of the interview questions and she said I'm just you know keeping myself busy like no yeah you're busy like keeping oneself busy is an expression people use in Turkey to like like a retired military man would say you know he was very busy before and now he's retired he's trying to keep himself busy but by doing like uh, you know direct by by doing small level uh, work right that are not work like hobby work um, and she's already busy, though. Like I, we did, we had dinner together with her. The sort of elaborate cooking she did, th- that was really to- time-consuming. She spent, she must have spent several hours to make that that possible. And it wasn't prepared for me, okay? So it was like her everyday work. Um, and she takes care of her grandkids. She she does her own cleaning. She's doing everything. She's kind of full-fledged, very busy housewife and so I didn't I didn't kind of I wanted to push this I we had this nice rapport so I could just push her a little but you're already very busy you're doing all sorts of things and she said I want to keep myself busy I want to keep busy with myself right and then she did like a very clear highlight on on myself and that was very important that's what's common actually And in all of my interlocutors, I can say, I can say all of them, I don't say majority of them, they want to be able to do something just for themselves. If they are kind of upper class enough, you know, they might kind of draw parallels between attending the gym and doing, you know, getting their hair done or their nails done, right? If they can't afford this, then they don't have much reference to compare it with. Because what women do in their spare time, they get together with their neighbors, which is, again, discussing all the things related to to what i call patriarchal control actually you know competing what sort of cake you did compared to the other woman who did this cake right or like uh, or your neighbors would know all sorts of stories about your life so you have to be like both open and closed a little bit like you have to control yourself a little bit or they would spend time with their in-laws and relatives and that again is kind of related to the same level but at the Tash, I yeah. have
0: a question. So
1: what is a fit and
0: beautiful body in Turkish ah. standard? Mm.
1: That's a good question. I actually wanted to address uh, one of the one of the themes you have been repeating since the beginning. I have to say I didn't necessarily come to the conclusion that my women were trying to make themselves desirable, which was, I have to admit, was huge slap on the face on my part right and i want to give an example uh related to my favorite example so in the first couple of months of my field work i wasn't interviewing anyone i was just you know taking field notes i was taking field notes and the changing rooms and the gym during sessions etc etc and i was making friends um and having my you know having fun and then the gym talks we're always starting always with the same two questions for how long have you been coming here how many kilos have you left lost and okay that's my like limited understanding. So we you have to understand, we go to the field after reading a large number of literature, which conditions us. It's like when you're a tourist and go to a country and you want to see a particular type of people, right? That's wrong, right? And then if you did if you did good ethnography, ethnography is supposed to change you. And that was a huge slap on my face because like when I was taking those, oh, I'm like, yeah, of course, because they're all obsessed about losing weight. And then the months were pa- passing, The questions were remaining the same. Everybody was asking the same questions to each other, but nobody was losing almost any weight actually. Okay. And I realized that's not necessarily a failure. I was just reading the questions wrong. Women were going to the gym to again open up space for themselves to care about themselves but that care doesn't have to be in the form we expect them to be it doesn't I mean some of them are yes of course are some of them are trying to lose weight some of them are trying to just get fit some of them are trying to get rid of that back pain these are all true but the reason they were asking these questions to you also had another very important and again very agentive element which was like us all of these women are exposed to these kind of images of fit very slim women on the TV. On TV during daytime programs in the evenings different type of individuals, celebrities etc are always sharing these kind of beauty secrets, secrets, right? How they stay fit, how they lose weight in short period and this many months, how many kilos etc. Whereas at the gyms, they see real women So they find all these celebrity stories highly questionable, right? Whereas when they go to the gym, what they see would be the real bodies of the real women. So what they do is this, they were exposed to these high standards and they try to lower that standard a little bit down, right? For themselves. And then they could tell, intern themselves okay I can't lose like 10 kilos in like two three months that's insane if I lose two kilos that's good and I would get fitter they they kind of that's enough and um and um I also liked it very much because I was interning with the celebrities they were following closely right and then, after me sharing my photos with those celebrities on social media, then the first question they asked me after we met was, "Do they really look like that?" So there's this element of disbelief to the to the media images, right um so then i i realized that it's not necessarily about trying to make themselves desirable for men that understanding is quite heterosexist actually and that would be quite wrong to centralize in an analysis especially since that's not what was going on um but again they were using this as a kind of mean of self-care and that self-care again, is, uh, involves multiple ele- elements, uh, self-care for the self, but also opening up space and time for themselves.
0: Yes, self-care. So they were doing this for self-care, for um, but as I, as I was reading the book, it uh, occurred to me that probably this is a new phenomenon. And women are take, I mean, doing this to take care of themselves and to stay fit or to stay healthy. Is this coming from the West or is it organic
1: thing is happening in Istanbul? There is this one very core element. So, in order for a change, you know, if so, there are global trends affecting everyone. There are when there is a trend that starts affecting uh, the world, everybody will be um, affected at, at, at some level, right? We see this example from certain trends coming from the US but also we see this uh, in terms of some of the trends coming from Korea, right? They kind of, they are quite trendsetters today. <laughs> but in order for them to be attractive to a large society, there should be something existing that was similar. In that, in that geography, right? Otherwise it would be just, you know, some crazy trend taking place in the US and why would we do it? Um, yeah. And that yeah. angle I can say has been existing in Turkey. Mm-hmm. So I saw one of the questions actually from uh, one of my friends from college years. Um, uh, she was asking about is it similar to Hamams. To a certain extent, yes, women were going to Hamams together and they were kind of enjoying their time together. And later on, you know, a couple of decades earlier than today, there were these kadınlar matinesi, matine for women. And where women would go to the restaurants, and there would be music, etc., and a singer, and it would be just you know women dancing. Otherwise, you know, it would be if, if it's a mixed um, day, then it would be highly problematic, right? For you know, in terms of their relationship with their their partners, probably. So there is something about women only fun, and because of that, actually. And there's a saying in Turkish, there's something about, you know, when the environment is just women only. In Turkish, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of seen as less serious, right? Kind of don't turn this environment into katanlar hamama, the woman's hamam. So that would be seen as a way of making things less serious. Okay that was also one of the reasons when I was, you know, initially doing my field work, so many people I was talking to were kind of not really understanding the point of doing a research like this at Cambridge. Like, why would Cambridge send someone to do a, a research on something that's so unserious? So there are normative mechanisms. There are certain kind of skeleton where people can hang on to kind of uh, relate themselves to. And another maybe global uh, issue going on that helps women, I can say, is not necessarily the kind of aesthetic trends, etc., but the neoliberal systems, right? The kind of after the current uh, AKP ruling came to power in municipal governments, what happened is uh, they prioritize neoliberal uh, populist tools, right? They kind of they find it as a, as a good way to empower themselves, and all these parks were empty. They weren't being used properly for uh, for for kids, right? As playgrounds, so they started replacing playgrounds with those outdoor gym equipment with. as they saw women walking on the streets they started kind of installing these um, rubber uh, walking tracks right so i can say there are multiple elements of global systems at operation in istanbul Uh, but that's not just about the trends that's slightly more complicated uh-huh okay so i want you to be
0: brief i want you to be very short and we do not be because we do not have have time but very very short Sertash. uh what is the structure of family dynamic in istanbul that doesn't allow women to be selfish
1: oh yes the entire dynamic actually um so um So if you are talking to a married woman, she would be giving examples to you from her in-laws. But actually, if you dig deeper in your interview, and ethnographic fieldwork allows me to do so, you then realize even the most supportive family would have their own boundaries, right? And they would have boundaries since very early in the childhood. Um, and, um, And like, it's not about family stopping you from following your desires. But also, but more importantly, social structure is is established in such a manner that you internalize those normative attitudes and you start controlling yourself.
0: Excellent. So the other question that left off, and I want to follow up on that, what is fit and beautiful body for women
1: in Turkish society right now? Oh, right now, mm, it's quite diverse. I see that it's getting, becoming more and more, like if you just look at the TV series, which are hugely popular outside of Turkey, you can see that like kind of, there's this element of Western standards, taller bodies, skinny bodies, etc. But an element of kind of more diverse colors, it's not necessarily blonde, but brunette and dark hair, etc., etc., as well. But amongst women, again, I, I realized that they kind of try to set more realistic um, beauty standards for themselves and for their close ones, right? For their friends, etc., and um. Um, and they were they were actually giving an example of a, a celebrity, I want to name her, Sabatumar, who's not necessarily an extremely skinny woman, but she's kind of fit and, and very joyful. Um, so one of the things we kind of came to, I came to conclusion is that it's not just about the aesthetics of a woman, but also the attitudes, the ability to kind of engage with other people. So there are these like kind of attractiveness, not, yeah, not, not necessarily physical mm-hmm. aesthetics physical. With other mm-hmm. elements of aesthetic.
0: excellent excellent please stay put with me you are watching to peace mindedly a podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers so the show is available on many social media channels on youtube facebook and uh, many 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 areas right now we have a very live interesting audience that are writing back to us, uh, we have Alison Stevens, we have Asli Sagal, I hope I'm pronouncing the name correctly, we have Salim, we have Noël. so people who have been engaged in the conversation making comments, or um, our guest um, Sertosh, just answered one of the questions that was popped out during our conversation about Hamam and women's social gathering. So we do have, um, if if you come here and uh, you listen to our conversation, you can be engaged with us and with our guests. So for this hour, we are talking with Sertak Sehlikoglu, author of Working Out Desire, Women, Sport, and Self-Making in Istanbul. The book is uh, published by Syracuse University Press, and will be available in January 15 the book is available on uh, goldtoon.com. you can order the book uh, through our website and it's uh, right now they are taking pre orders but uh, the uh, ebook the pdf and ebook is available you can read the book and also you can or- pre order the book but uh, the, the actual copy is available on January 15 we do recommend the book i think it it was a very rich book it was Honestly, when I was reading the book, it was not (laughs) boring like academic books. I really enjoyed reading lines by lines, pages after pages. They were stories about women and had written in a way that it's pleasant. I learned tremendously, so I do recommend the book to whoever would like to learn more about how women uh, in Istanbul, in Turkey, and in a larger context in the countries in the Middle East are engaging in self-image in terms of Creating a space, a social space for health and and for um, their well-being. So, so the book is a very uh, very suitable and um, good read. We at the end of every program, we ask our guests to share something about peace, about kindness, compassion. Especially, uh, please do not forget to act uh, kindly towards someone you like. Uh, especially because it's the World Kindness Day. We, we need the Word Kindness Day every day, but uh, I'm so glad that at least we are dedicating a day for this matter because this is something we really need uh, in our lives, especially right now during the pandemic and during the upheaval that the world is experiencing. Yet yet again, at the end of the program, our guest shares, and they close the program for us. I'm just going to turn into Sertosh and ah- have her to share something meaningful about peace, kindness, and compassion.
1: Yes, go ahead, Sir Tash. Thank you, Sarah. So the, since you first told me to reflect on this, I try to give examples from everyday life, but my reality is obviously around academia. So I ended up deciding that I should say something about the the kind of very fragile the way the way academia makes us very fragile very vulnerable um especially those who are in the early stages of their career but also everyone and um i have to say as a woman from the middle east right who's you know language is her second language um, so her english is her second language i'm getting emotional making more mistakes (laughs) um like Things have been quite challenging, but the, the, the best support I have received were from those who understood challenges of the academia much more broadly. And their, their support was coming from really unexpected angles. Um, sometimes it takes kind of a form of rather than when you are going through a difficult time, um, rather than giving you some time off, try to understand your situation, ask you what you need and provide and tailor their support accordingly. Sometimes it was coming from a simple understanding of, you know, um, extending deadline, something like that. Um, and sometimes just, you know, being aware that um, not everybody is able to share the conditions they're trying to struggle with. Because when we have limited energy, what we do is just start to spend that energy to, to persevere, to continue going, rather than sharing it with the world. So um, I think um, I just wanted to reflect on the importance of kindness in academia um, and just leave it there. Yes,
0: excellent. Thank you so much uh, with Martin here and with uh, Sertaj. We enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Truly, yes. Thank, thank, you. thank you so much, Tash.
1: I very much enjoyed as well. Thank you very much.
0: Excellent. Thanks, so yes, for the